0: Hey there, welcome to another exciting edition of the ABM Voice podcast. I'm your host, Arun Gopalaswamy. I interviewed top notch B2B sales and marketing experts to bring you their ideas, best practices, and latest trends to help you succeed in your role. Today, I had the pleasure of talking with Jim Gilkey, an accomplished account executive at Terminus and the creator of the fantastic podcast account-based beverages. With his vast experience across sales and marketing functions, Jim has a lot to share with us. So sit back and get ready to be inspired by his valuable insights. Let's dive in. Good morning, Jim. Thank you so much for taking time and joining us in this podcast. Really appreciate it. I want to get started to, to sort of have you a quick introduction about yourself your background what's your current role and things like that good morning
1: yeah so currently i am uh, an account executive at terminus which is an abm platform i have taken an interesting journey to get here working in sales development moving over into uh, sales and marketing hybrid role straight into marketing where i launched abm and ran abm at a company and now over here at terminus where i work with a lot of companies trying to get started with ABM and also the impetus for starting my own podcast, account-based beverages, talking a little bit about that as well.
0: It's an interesting journey so far. What was your interest in ABM? Like what pulled you into ABM? I have always been fascinated
1: by why people do the things that they Mm -hmm. do and the ability to influence that through telling a compelling story and illuminating things that a person might not think of or might not consider mm-hmm. but could remove a major pain that they have or allow them to be the hero in their company and
0: take their company to the next level right, right. sure i think it all comes to how well your storytelling uh, capabilities are right so it's, it's very powerful can you talk a little bit about your favorite abm campaigns i know last time when we talked you talked a couple of interesting campaigns what are your favorites are there anything that you wanted to sort of talk about
1: Yeah. For me, ABM, and one of the most important things to define early on is what is the goal of this ABM campaign? Because each motion of ABM will have a different set of KPIs and metrics that go along with it. And the way that you'll run the campaign will vary tremendously between the different uh, motions. And so one great example of a customer that we have at Terminus is a financial services CRM called CRM Next. Uh, They ran a campaign based off of the reality tv show the bachelorette yeah. which if you're unfamiliar there's one girl and there's a group of guys that all try to woo this girl and get her to fall in love with yeah. them and at the end of each episode she hands out roses and if you don't get a rose you don't move to next episode crm next decided to have a play on this yeah. reality show calling their campaign the bank lorette yeah. because they're servicing banks mostly and what they did is they had their top target accounts, see these ads, they would click on the ad and go to a landing Mm. page and here's CRM next and their biggest competitors, all as these candidates trying to vie for that rose move on to the next round. The smart play that most people didn't understand in this brand awareness campaign Mm. is when you go to the landing Mm -hmm. page, a property that CRM next Mm -hmm. owns, they are capturing data about which of your competitors you are most interested Mm. in. So then they can move from that brand awareness campaign Mm -hmm. into a building pipeline campaign Well, now they're retargeting you with the specific competitive kill messaging mm-hmm. because they know which competitors you're interested right. in. Because on that landing page for the Bank Lorette, you're able to research any one of the major competitors that t- typically they would come across in a sales right. cycle.
0: I think it seems to be a smart way to qualify and then sort of drive messaging accordingly, right? interesting so thank you for that Uh, i want to talk more about abm but before that i also wanted to talk about some basics right so i wanted to understand what's your definition of lead gen, demand gen and demand capture when it comes to abm programs i think there's a lot of misconceptions and then everybody sort of have their own way of looking at things right so i'm wondering how do you define these three
1: terms yeah so the way that i typically approach this in conversations is thinking about the accounts that might be in market and accounts that might not be. There are a lot of ABM providers that will tell you that you need this intent data when buyers are doing research on a topic, could be your name, your competitor's name, any of the solutions or pain points, right. and to go all in only on those accounts that are showing spike in intent right. and doing more than normal research. Right. That for me falls in the demand capture mm-hmm and that is an important play, Mm -hmm. you definitely want to help your sales team prioritize which accounts they should be reaching out to. But with the statistics that are out there, typically only 5% of your total relevant market would be in market right right now. And even in this recession, I saw that. that, Yeah. And that in a quarter, that would be 5%. And in the recession, they're saying that even drops down to as low as 1%. Mm -hmm for some of these industries. Mm. And so to set aside potentially 99% right. of the total relevant market and just say, we'll wait for them to raise their right. hand, I think is not the winning approach for getting through You know the economic climate. I think the demand creation side right. is being able to illuminate pain point that somebody might not realize that they have. And once you illuminate that, they can't forget right. it. So if you're talking to a company about a leaky pipeline and not being able to forecast correctly or deals slipping to the next Mm -hmm. quarter. I I keep thinking of uh, an ad that I was targeted with recently from Clary, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about this idea. And now that I have this top of mind because I just saw their ads, it's something that I'm constantly thinking Mm -hmm. about. Is the data up to date? Is this something that we're accurately forecasting? And eventually it'll get to a point where it's so bothersome because I know that I cannot shake this feeling of constantly thinking about it, that I will Mm -hmm. call somebody over there and I'll have the conversation. And so when you look at the demand creation Mm -hmm. side, it is usually step one. And then working with the sales team to try to generate using the same messaging that marketing is Mm -hmm. using typically one of the best places to go. And one of my guests on my podcast, Yaganesh talked about Mm -hmm. this is looking at prospect conversations and looking at customer conversations and dissecting what are the most commonly asked questions of your company and your brand. Mm -hmm. Because if the target accounts that could be and are buying from Mm -hmm. you are all asking the same question, instantly you know what type of content you need to be promoting and sharing and talking more about. So starting to build that out and move that into your demand creation play then you are putting people in a position where they're naturally going to start to move into showing more intent. And then the demand capture play can start to take over from there.
0: That makes perfect sense. How do you respond to organizations, companies, right, just about starting their ABM journey and then? coming and then saying, okay, how many leads can you generate through this? So it's, it's basically like a very standard sort of a question, right? Just because they come from that typical lead in sort of a mindset and background, right? So they think ABM is another lead in mechanism. How do you respond to them?
1: First and foremost, uh, and I think I'm uniquely positioned kind of swimming upstream, going from marketing into mm-hmm. sales. It goes back to my experience launching account-based marketing. I had a few weeks maybe after I finished onboarding, before my executive team started asking questions about when are we expecting leads. And you really need to move into the conversation around what does ABM look like? How do you define this? And what does it look like to go from uh, step one to having success and deals come in? Because ABM is not a light switch that you flip on, and all of a sudden your business is growing. You need to start to look at some of those leading metrics. If you're doing a brand awareness play, it's going to be the number of accounts on your target list that are engaging. And then from there, are you increasing the number of page views on your website, you move, you know, into a building pipeline campaign, do you have more conversations for sales being generated. And typically, when you start to explain the process of how it works, it will win some people over. And for the ones that don't, you need to take a step back and go into the conversation of your leads that you are demanding from this program, let's look at what you currently Mm -hmm. have. So when you start to break down the process of the leads that are coming into your organization right now, how many of those become uh, sales accepted, Mm -hmm. how many become opportunities, and then how far do those opportunities go? You know, Refine Labs has been talking a lot over the past six months about this hero pipeline Mm -hmm. for high intent revenue. And when you look at the high intent it has to have a 25 percent chance or better of turning into revenue if they're going to consider that hero pipeline so if you go back to your accounts and your leads that are coming in and you start to look at how far through the process do they go what percentage of those actually win <laughs> that will give you a better level set on how important are leads because abm 100 percent does generate leads but if you're just looking for quantity over quality, then this is what I consider uh, CBM, which is check the box That's marketing. Tight. If you're just trying to check a box and generate leads versus running a true account based program, then you need to understand there's going to be a give and take with the number of leads that come in versus the quality and how many of those actually turn into revenue, which is the goal at the end of the day.
0: It's sort of a cultural shift within the organization, right? So they are used to high velocity, high volume kind of a play, right? And for, for management, for example, to sort of accept that, okay, so the number is going to come down, but the quality of that number is going to be better than before, right? So I think that articulation is something that needs to happen. And, and I think it, it can happen when, let's say, there's some kind of a crisis, right? So let's say they're not able to convert, so the older techniques are not working, and hence everybody wants to shift, and hence ABM is the, the next best thing everybody thinks of. It might be easier for the teams to go and then convert. But let's say in an, in a setup where things are working, maybe not as effectively as before, but it, it is working, right? Now, for some companies like that, where for the marketers to go and then rationalize right and explain the importance of abm and how this is going to be a slow process but it's going to be a good long-term kind of an initiative so hence you invest right so that uh, i think it it, it does not sell everywhere so i think once you sort of experience and taste blood and then you want to make sure that the last drop is sort of extracted right so and for typically if you are a b2b marketer abm is something that's on your mind Top of your mind and hence you wanted to right. you as a marketer understand but you don't get the buy-in right so have you come across any cases like this and how have people sort of overcome and then convinced their exact team or uh, anybody who's the decision maker long question but hopefully you get yeah. a gist of what i'm trying to get here because this is some, uh, something that I, I keep getting and i want to see how others are responding yeah there are
1: typically two battles that you need to win in making a case for account-based marketing. One is getting executive buy-in and the other is getting sales buy-in because even if you are able to sign a contract with an agency or a platform, if sales doesn't actually use the platform or take action on any of the insights you're sending their way, then it's doomed to Mm -hmm. fail. So in the executive case, when you're trying to get budget, uh, an exercise to go through would be looking at the return across all of your channels. A good example, especially for those companies that are very heavy on outbound today and think that maybe it is working, it would be going through and looking at, okay, if you have an outbound team that's making calls, how much are they getting paid? And how many hours are they working? And how many leads are they generating and how many of those turn into actual revenue? So just you know, for for example, running through some of these, you know, made up numbers, I'll try to use round yeah. numbers to make it easy to to follow through. But if you have 10 uh, SDRs and they're all making, you know, 60,000 us every year, that's about 5,000 right. a month. And so your team gets paid 50,000 across those 10 SDRs. Right. If each of those are producing 10 opportunities, mm-hmm. so a hundred opportunities from the whole team each mm-hmm. month, then that's about $500 per that's opportunity. Right. And if only one of those deals closes Mm -hmm. each month and your average deal size, let's say is a hundred thousand, then you have about a 10% win rate with that channel and you're getting a hundred thousand dollars back from the $50,000 you're putting into it each month. And so starting to look at, is that worth Mm it? I am a firm believer and you'll see this all over the place that email is dead, cold calling is dead, whatever the channels are. And there's nothing that's dead. You could put an article, you know, on a a piece of paper about your company and staple it to every wall, you know, posting it all around the city. Somebody will probably come in. But at what point is this channel or this method overpriced Mm -hmm. for what you could be spending somewhere Mm -hmm. else? And I think SEO is a great example for certain industries. The cost of terms are so high Mm -hmm. that if you just took the money from SEO and put it into other channels... You see individuals that are promoting their own team, posting on LinkedIn every day. And because so many people have so much reach, they have 50% or more of their volume coming inbound through that channel. And so considering in not just, you know, going back to that case with the SDR team, the salaries, but you also have to consider the benefits of those individuals, the technologies they use, the salary of the leader who's coaching them. It does start to add up after a period of time. And you can make the case because there's a lot of stats out there about ABM and what you're able to get out of that. And just using some of the benchmarks, Mm -hmm. it will give you a good understanding of does this fit in and will this be a value add? compared to the return on investment from all the other channels that we're currently spending right. money on.
0: So the, the budget reallocation, I think that's a good strategy, but it's also high risk, right? So this is like saying nobody got fired when they bought from IBM kind of thing, right? So when things were working, right, maybe it's not as good as it was before. But for you to go and then say, okay, stop this SEO investment, take that and put it in your new program, which is ABM, somebody is, is actually betting there, right? So. They're, they're going to be in trouble if, if, if it doesn't work or if it was not well executed and things like that, right? So essentially going from an established playbook to something new, it's always risky, right? Are there any risk mitigation framework or any approaches that you, you generally advise?
1: Yeah, I am a firm believer. And this comes uh, a little tongue in cheek being a salesperson that sells ABM technology. Right. But I'm a firm believer that you don't have to have a platform to do ABM. Right you are able to run ABM with a, a team and with technologies that cost little to no mm-hmm. money. And that is my suggestion for companies that I talk to that are maybe not ready for that investment in a platform mm-hmm. because they need to first prove out that it's going to be worth it for their company in a very low risk scenario. Mm-hmm. So I'm all about trying to reduce friction right. and reducing friction also works extremely well with getting sales buy-in. But when you start with your top or maybe most open-minded salesperson and just one person picks five accounts and this five accounts and this one salesperson is gonna be your pilot program, Mm -hmm. you start to look at some of those pieces of information you know perform really well because all of your clients are asking questions about them. You start targeting those five accounts with those pieces of information after two or three weeks where they're probably familiar with your brand you have the salesperson start to call in and send emails mirroring the same messaging Mm. that the marketing is overlaying. Mm. Then all of a sudden when they have success, you now have the biggest evangelist because as you could probably tell with me going on and on, on this podcast, salespeople can't keep their mouth shut. They have success. They want to tell everybody, they want to bring their team along Mm -hmm. with them. And so if you can go through in these, low risk scenarios where you're targeting just a few accounts setting up these manually on these advertising platforms or maybe doing linkedin where you can get a little bit more granular that is a great opportunity Mm -hmm. for you to prove out the model and then when you go to your executive team it's not here's a benchmark that says abm should work and maybe work for us it's here's the pilot program it has worked mm-hmm. well and i'm not asking you to start something new i'm asking to scale something that sure. we know works
0: okay makes perfect sense so talking about pilots right so in your experience what sort of companies uh, should think about abm Think think like, like we spoke earlier right if you are a b2b marketer and if you're not doing abm it seems that you're missing right it appears and that's the general perception right so how do you sort of come out of it and then How do you make sure that when you choose this, this is actually the right approach for your company? Yeah.
1: So there's a lot uh, out there as far as some of the general ABM requirements or suggestions, Uh, we've seen companies use ABM across a variety of different targets and sizes and revenues, but what we have found typically works really, really well are companies that have slightly longer or more complex sales cycles, uh, big buying groups, so more than just one person, larger uh, sale. So as far as the um, ACV or ARR that would come from a deal closing, um, typically on the larger end, because for the investment in ABM to be worth it, you want to make sure that there's some significant value coming out. And if it's a transactional business and you can get deals closed without having to talk to sales or maybe just a one call close, then typically those that would ask a lot more questions to make sure they actually want to make this mm. investment because spending a lot of money on a smaller number of accounts, ABM is not mm. demand gen where you're going to have thousands and tens of thousands of accounts. You could, if for a smaller company, have just a handful of accounts. Mid sized company, you could get into the hundreds or maybe a thousand and only really the largest enterprises are targeting, you know, thousands and thousands of accounts with ABM because they have 50 or 60 people in their marketing team to make sure it's still personalized, but there's always going to be that mm-hmm. trade-off on how specific you can get. And to be really clear, ABM is not, or I should say personalization within ABM is not the novel 20 years ago insert company name here or insert person's first name. That is something that we all expect, because it's been around for Mm -hmm. so long. The idea of personalization with ABM is to show me that you Mm. know me, show me that you understand the world that I live in by using language that I would use, and talking about the pain points that I feel, and the opportunities that I wish I have. And that's when you get my attention. And so Going back to some of the requirements outside of this typically bigger deal size or longer sales cycle or multiple buyers within a company, um, I also would look at just some of the requirements. Have they checked the box on defining what ABM is? Do you have a goal or purpose? Do you have understanding of who owns what within ABM? Um, Do you have buy-in from executives and sales? Do you understand the time to value and how long it'll take to get Hmm. up and going? And then do you have the the data and the content Mm. built because you don't want to pay money for a platform like a terminus. If you don't already have a target list or you don't understand what your ICP metrics are, and then you don't want to obviously spend a bunch of money targeting accounts. If you're just going to be sending them to your homepage on your website, you need to have the landing page, you need to have the downloadable content or the webinar, wherever you're going to send them with that call to action. And once you have all of those pieces together, it does make sense to start building that business case, running that pilot to see what works. But in general, that's what we found um, having some of those boxes checked and obviously falling into a few of those categories where most of the companies that have those longer sales cycles or bigger deals would see success so with ABM.
0: Are there any uh, hard numbers or ranges that you typically use to qualify, for example, in terms of, let's say, the deal value, the sales cycle, time, right, and and, and things like that? Uh, as far as hard numbers, it will really
1: vary between accounts. I, I always struggle with putting numbers on. Now, typically, if it's you know uh, under you know thirty thousand dollar sale, then I would start asking more questions because it might be a more transactional business. If it's mm-hmm. they're only targeting one person, or some of the times their their target market is very large, but very small companies. And so, if you're Mm -hmm. a type of person that you want to be targeted, but you also want to target every single person selling insurance or every single person that is running real estate, and it's a, I own my own business, but I'm part of a greater organization. Some of those get a little bit tricky when you're actually trying Mm -hmm. to get ABM to work. But for the most part, it's, you know, maybe under that, you know, $30,000 mark, um, targeting, you know, fewer than, Five or so people in the the buying cycle, and um, everything else from there. Just ask more questions, try to clarify, because we have seen some people that have a ten thousand dollar price point, and they've made ABM work sure. extremely so well.
0: what sort of team you generally advocate, and what should especially for companies were just about starting their ABM journey, right? So, what sort of team structure composition should they have? So, when I was
1: running ABM, it was at a staffing firm, and I had myself, who is the practitioner and uh, leader as far as, you know, gathering all the people on my team coming up with the next campaign and determining, you know, what are some of the channels that we want to utilize with that campaign. We did everything from marketing automation, events, direct mail. Uh, We used Terminus as a platform and some advertising through them. And so having that one point person from a technology perspective to actually get in the platform, launch the campaigns, I was able to manage our marketing automation platform and Terminus at the same time. Um, that was not right. too much of a stretch. But mm-hmm. to have somebody creating graphics, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to be personalized, you want specific ads for a segment or an individual company, that is going to be a heavier creative lift. So somebody or right. some technology that could help with that. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, the content and the copy side. So if you need to create an ebook, if you need to create a copy for a landing page, having somebody from that. And then the other side would be uh, a sales counterpart that can help champion this from their team, make sure that they're Mm -hmm. actually following up with the same messaging on the campaigns that you're running, make sure that they have some sort of metrics that they're tracking that align with yours, and then executive support, because you will have to have a voice in those senior leadership meetings saying, here's where we are, We don't have any deals from ABM, but we have checked some of the earlier boxes on identifying contacts, generating conversations. We have so much pipeline from ABM and to help Mm -hmm. to build a longer ramp time or um, have a little bit more leash for you to Mm -hmm. show success is going to be important to have that advocate as well. So
0: what's your view on somebody outsourcing their entire ABM program to an external agency versus uh, doing in-house, right? So is there one better than the other? They both have pros and cons. Some individuals really
1: just want to have control over every little bit, and they're okay Mm -hmm. with the extra lift and the extra learning. Um, They're okay with finding the individuals who, you know, there are more and more individuals that have ABM experience, but it is still a pretty small group because ABM as a category is somewhat small. Uh, The advantage of having an agency is that you don't have to go through and pay the cost for Headhunting and finding somebody to be that ABM individual and to have that strategy and expertise. We find that, you know, some Mm -hmm. of our agency partners, their time to value is just so fast because they are already the experts, not just on the plays that everybody thinks about, like building more pipeline, but some of these other plays, like how do you take accounts that went close, lost or dead? and revive those opportunities Mm -hmm. to bring them into the fold? How do you increase Mm -hmm. the velocity of the sales cycle so you're closing deals at a faster rate? Or how do you start to use ABM with the rich set of information you already have for your customers and start to cross sell and expand within Mm -hmm. those accounts? So typically Mm -hmm. the, I guess, spiderweb effect of being able to launch multiple campaigns very quickly, all with a very high efficiency, having an agency will, will get you there a lot faster. But obviously you lose a little bit of the control of this is exactly what we wanna Mm -hmm. do for this. Here's how we wanna test it. And going back and forth on running a test, seeing how it works, optimizing from there, and iterating, just adding in more people, you know, with working with an agency is just something to consider.
0: Makes sense, yeah. So perhaps like if you don't have in-house resources, start with an agency and slowly see what are the functions which can actually be built within the organization. So that looks like that's the way to go.
1: Yeah. Many times they could be a safety net for you. If you're not sure if you are able to have success with ABM, obviously the agency is all but going to guarantee success because the agency wants you to obviously stay on with them and work with them over a long period of time. They don't want to just get you up and going. And so if it might take you six months or a year to figure out ABM on Mm -hmm. your own, you could be up and going in a few months with an agency.
0: Yeah, I think it makes sense. So let's just sort of get into the favorite topic of yours, right? And I, like you mentioned, you are you qualified because you've seen both the uh, sides, the marketing and sales functions, right? And and before we get a little deeper yeah. into it, I want to understand why you made the switch and how did you how did the marketing experience start and what got interested in the sales side that you you are now basically an in a interminus.
1: Yeah, so it's an interesting story. I was working sales and marketing at a small startup that had about seven Mm -hmm. people. And it was a community that we started on like leadership and employee development. I became friends with one of the uh, leaders Mm -hmm. at one of our clients. Mm -hmm. And over a period of time and getting to know him and his business, he just mentioned that they were really struggling with sales and marketing alignment. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to get into this new space of ABM. They didn't really know how. And he knew that I had some marketing experience working with marketers, doing a little bit half and half with sales and marketing at that role that I was currently in. And so he just invited me into his company to head up the ABM effort. So I came over there as director of marketing. I was already really good friends with the sales leader and I mm-hmm. knew that he and I would have a great relationship in championing this together. And we were able to run that for a year over COVID getting started. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as we had some of our campaigns with events and direct mail, as things are getting sent back to us or thrown in the trash, because they nobody knew with COVID if any of these uh, direct mail pieces had the, the virus on them, uh, we right. saw that start to tank as far as those channels. But Terminus was really a blessing in having just finished onboarding with them. I was able to just move Mm -hmm. my budget over and start to target people from a digital perspective. And we saw an uptick very quickly with Terminus. And so Mm -hmm. over the period of time when I was working with Terminus, we had a lot more conversations generated, ended up having a very large deal closed in the fall um, that put us over a thousand percent return on our investment. And uh, it was about a month after that, I ended up reaching out to my client success manager saying, you know, out of all the things that I do in my job, this is the most interesting. And sure. I want to know if you can make an introduction to your team because I would love to come over there. And so mm-hmm. I started talking to the Terminus team. They found that you know having a sales role where I could talk with my marketing experience would be just such a value add. And right. So I came on over and I've been here for about two and a half years now. It has been so much fun and so fulfilling for me being able to advise people on how to get started, but also tell people when maybe it's not the right time to get started, or there might be, you know, another approach that would work better for them. I I pride myself on the ability to be helpful first before just thinking Mm. of myself and, you know, some quota I could attain. I know it'll come at some point, but not forcing anybody into my sales cycle, just like any of our customers should not be trying to force people down a funnel, putting them into campaigns if the timing doesn't make sense for this
0: Yes, absolutely. So now, I think sales marketing alignment is sort of a holy grail when it comes to ABM, right? And a lot of companies struggle, especially the companies are bigger, right? So culturally, internal frictions and, and whatnot, it's very, very difficult, right? I think, theoretically, you can say it needs to happen, but practically, it doesn't happen. Everybody acknowledges, yet people are making investments on ABM, right? How should those companies, maybe in, in startups, when, when companies are small, right? So sales
1: marketing alignment is, to me, all about reducing friction. Like you mentioned, are kind of three different stages that I, I think about with this. The first is being the us versus them, where many companies find themselves. And this is epitomized by the fight over who gets credit for a new opportunity that's created or a deal that's closed and typically because of that that competition that they have between the two different departments there's a lack of insight that the marketing team should have coming from the prospects and via the sales conversations and there's a lack of follow-up from sales and i think it was high spot that said in their european state of sales marketing alignment report last year up to 70 percent of content produced by B2B marketing teams is unused by salespeople. And so having that as kind of the first stage, we're trying to move people from there to the second stage, which I would call is like the service level agreement or SLA driven alignment. So this is where you have rules of how the two teams are going to work together. You are, instead of marketing, handing sales a list and saying, here are the accounts that we're going to target. They're bringing a list explaining, here are some of our criteria from what we've seen from the data on what makes a good account. Here's what we have decided from an ICP perspective, what those qualities should be. But then they stop and ask, what do you think? What is your input? And there's a very, very important piece to alignment. It was something a business coach used to tell me. People endorse what they co-create. So they endorse the things that they are a part of the creation process because they feel that sense of ownership and pride in what they've created. And so moving them from this, you, we have our rules and things that we do, we, you have your rules and here's how we work together. It is uh, an ability to start to build something together. And that's moving to this third category of what I call engineering serendipity. The thought or idea behind this is you are so aligned in creating these campaigns together that it is a seamless experience for your target accounts. The example I always share is when you see an account is doing research on a given topic and you reach out to them. I typically don't go the creepy, I had some technology that showed me that you were doing research route. I typically go this route of a lot of the executives I've talked to recently are really concerned with Mm -hmm. A, And they're thinking, wow, this is perfect timing. I was just doing research on this. In your mind, you're engineering this moment of serendipity because you have the data that's coming through from marketing. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not to be isolated just in the sales function, but marketing should have the ability as well to start to dynamically add these accounts to campaigns, talking about Mm -hmm. those topics that they're doing research on at that moment. So moving them onto the campaign, and then after a period of time, having them fall off. So it is relevant and it speaks to them based off of what is interesting and what is a pain point or opportunity for them at that time. And the other piece for the companies that really take this to the extreme is not only sharing one goal for a go-to-market team Mm -hmm. but also sharing a budget Mm -hmm. and if you have a budget you're forced to work with people if you have a budget you need to decide what is the greatest use of this money for the greater team and not just i have an idea and i think this would be cool and i'm going to try it and if it fails so be it but having sales and marketing work together on every single step of this from budgeting, planning, doing the strategy, executing and measuring to see what works and what doesn't. It takes you to this state of Zen, to this movement from a buyer's perspective. Every channel that they're on, they're seeing a consistent message. The message is relating to where they are in the buying cycle, giving them the piece of information that they need to be able to move on to that mm. age, stage, become that conversation with sales and eventually become a customer.
0: Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. So talking about budget, so I had this question and I also get asked quite frequently, right? So when especially companies which are starting their ABM programs, oftentimes they come and ask, what should we plan for as an ad budget, right? So they, they ignore everything and then they start by asking, what should be my budget? Have you come across and how do you tackle that question? Yeah. So they don't share, let's say, a number of accounts, the target account list, right? So the number of campaigns they intend to do, how long is the their sales cycles, none of that, right? So it starts with this single question, what should I budget for? Because there is a planning meeting that happens the day after to tomorrow, so I need some numbers. Can you give me some numbers?
1: Yeah, and, and the timeline is an interesting component to this as well, because... Right. At least with uh, these technology companies, you know it might be if you're signing a contract today, a couple of weeks before you have onboarding start, a couple of weeks for onboarding to run, and then your ads being up and running before you start to see anything come through. And most of the time, the conversation is, "I have this event coming up in three weeks. Can we get this up and going?" Right. And we need almost you know double that amount of time to have somebody have success and start to see because like I said, it's not a light switch to turn on, but Mm -hmm. specifically from a budgeting perspective, I would share, you know, across our customer base, the most successful customers are on a minimum spending two to $3,000 a month on ads. If you're not spending that much, then there are probably platforms that won't be as effective, but will be a cheaper price point for you to get in and start to try to build out the model for for running account based advertising. Mm -hmm. But if you can get over that $3,000 mark, And that at least opens up for the conversation that you want to have and I want to have, which is how many accounts are on the list? Mm -hmm. What are those titles that you're trying to target? Is this going to be for the top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, or bottom of the funnel? And once you start to get some of those other pieces, we can actually be very prescriptive with what we think people should be spending on a daily or monthly perspective. Because Mm -hmm. as you know, each of the channels has their own benchmarks for the spend and the CPM. And each of these titles is going to have a different CPM that goes with it. And so one of the things that we recommend is going through that exercise. If you're looking at a vendor like a Terminus, ask them what the match rate is. Give them a sample list of accounts, have them run it through their platform. Hmm. They can tell you, hey, out of these accounts, we could reach you know, 98% of them. We feel really confident in that we have this many devices that we can reach and and within these departments, here's your reach. And that gives you a much better starting point for what should our budget be. But I feel many of the times people are just asking the blanket question, how much is this gonna cost from the beginning? It's from their perspective, right. just trying to make the most of their time. If they're having right. $400, $500 a month that they can spend and you're saying $3,000 minimum, then they know that it's not a fit they're just really trying to check the box and move on to the next stage of, okay, let's actually build out a model for the budget on this.
0: Right. No, I think it's, it's also the other thing, other misconception that account-based marketing is account-based advertising, right? Ignore all other channels and think ads alone can move the needle for them. So especially first-time ABM practitioners or somebody who has not had experience before, right? So they think of ABM and ABA as a a synonymical sort of term, right? Have you come across and and what do you tell to those folks? Yeah,
1: there are typically two directions that
0: I find people
1: come to ABM. One is on the very, very massive side. You're talking about the top companies in the world. They can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a single account. To create these very customized experiences, Mm -hmm. ones that are unforgettable because that one person at that one account could determine a huge portion of the company's growth for this next quarter, trying to get them to a point of scaling that and doing what they view is unscalable to take maybe this one person and everything that they know about them Mm -hmm. and trying to step it down to what are common qualities that people in their role at similar companies might have. Maybe we're now at a point where we can launch this as a campaign. Mm -hmm. And then from the smaller perspective, exactly what you mentioned, people with a demand gen background want to come this and treat ABM as demand gen Mm 2.0. And you can find out very quickly in conversations with them How do you envision abm at your company well we're going to put tens of thousands of accounts on these advertising campaigns send them to our website have them convert on the same forms that they're already not converting super well at and they assume that this is a silver bullet Mm. because you have just a set of accounts versus everybody that you know your next door neighbor might not have been working for the past 20 years, or it might be a a child, you know, somebody that's in school still, Mm. they think that just because you're targeted, you'll all of a sudden have growth. And it's so much more than that. Just because you know that they're of working age at these list of companies doesn't mean that you have the type of motion that will resonate with them. You know, one of the best campaigns that I ran mm. at my last company was these roundtables where you could get a group of people in and you have them supply the questions that they want their peers to answer. You have to go round robin right. and everybody who wants to ask a question can, and they'll spend five minutes mm. going into advice from their counterparts. It is an insane amount of value for those individuals. And the idea is that you're not sold. All of their problems, mm-hmm. but you're giving them just enough right. so they know who they need to call and schedule a lunch or go grab a coffee with afterwards to dive into that topic more. And if you can put your company and yourself in that position of being the go to source for information and answers and making things easier or
0: faster or better, that's really where you win. Right. So, how do you educate people who are thinking ABM as demand gen 2.0? How do you drive the change?
1: People, I think, learn through stories. And so giving examples of actual campaigns that your customers are running, for me, many of the times my stories come from the mistakes that I made when I was trying to get ABM set up. And if they can learn from those, and many times it could be you started out yourself when you got into ABM, trying to run it as demand gen, showing them all of the traps that they would fall into during the story of all the traps that you did fall into. And then they can learn from your mistakes and start from square two instead of square one on this journey.
0: Right. Makes sense. Last couple of questions, I think. I know we are approaching the top of our Uh, intent. I think you touched upon it, right? So how important is to have access to buying intent, right? Uh, These days, I think ABM and intent is almost talked synonymously, right? You can't do ABM without intent, right? Is this a must or is it more an option that people can choose and then maybe even choose later? So there is intent
1: at people's fingertips that they don't realize, and I do think it's a must, but I do not think it is a silver bullet as many describe it as. They typically will say, if you can just put in a list of keywords, measure that across the greater open web, the leads that you get from that will close immediately, your company will grow, and you'll be the hero that's not how it works in reality. Right. I think you need to have right. two or three different sources of intent. And those sources, mm-hmm. number one, the one right there under everybody's fingertips is their own website. So do you have your website built right. in such a way that an account landing on a specific page of your website might indicate something that they're interested in? Many companies have mm-hmm. a lot of the about us and the blogs, and it's really helpful for them to have the structure that they have, but maybe a one or two degree turn on their website and categorizing things in a different way Mm -hmm. might give them a lot of insight into what are those pain points or opportunities that could indicate it'd be a good time for sales to reach out. So that's one source. Another would be through some of these data providers. There's keyword intent and topical intent, and probably a conversation for another time diving into all of that. But many really strong signals come online from people just doing research, downloading white papers, attending webinars that you would have access to with the right intent provider. And that just is another layer on top of the website traffic. And so starting to get into some of those um, pieces will help you be a little bit more personalized because you have a better understanding of what do people care about and how do I create a message that will be meaningful to them? So the last thing I'll leave with right. on this topic is if you have not already go through this exercise that I did when I was starting out with ABM, I took my top 100 targets. We called it our dream 100. Mm-hmm. And I looked at out of those 100, mm-hmm. what are the intent topics that the majority of them were, were surging on? For us being in staffing and being a minority owned business, yeah. we found that our ability to staff diverse Mm -hmm. lines of people from different parts of the world was our greatest value add. And also it was the highest surging topic out of all the intent topics. So when I created a campaign Mm. off of that intent topic, we literally tripled our click-through rate because I'm hitting people with the message that's meaningful at the right time for them. And so it'd be a great exercise for companies to run and look what is the highest performing content on our website, what are people, Searching online, if you have access through a provider, and start to understand what kind of content you need to double down on.
0: Very interesting. Thank you so much, uh, especially tuning your website, right, to sort of gauge intent from the, the accounts that are visiting. I think something that I'm not actively thought about, it, so it's something I've learned from you now, right? Anyway, I, I just have one last question. Your podcast, why does it say account this beverages? What does beverage indicate?
1: Yeah. So <laughs> The idea behind this was to create the resource that I was missing when I was trying to learn account-based marketing. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of great resources online, but to sift through longer episodes and to try to find a one or two nuggets in there to hear things that are very 30,000 foot pie in the sky view Mm -hmm. versus a real practical example in a five minute uh, format is what i needed because i didn't have a lot of extra time and so i decided when i got over here and had some of the conversations heard the same questions that i was asking just a few months earlier that i needed to create that resource and so Mm -hmm. the idea is that all the episodes are around five minutes Mm -hmm. and we have the one piece of advice and then we have the human element because companies don't generate an emotional response. People don't have that affinity toward brands. They have affinity toward people because it's the human connection. And so in order to generate the human connection with my podcast, I decided to have everyone pick their favorite beverage we all have to drink something in order to stay alive mm-hmm. so i didn't want to limit it to being alcohol based or being caffeine based because not everybody consumes those sure. so it has been really fun for me not only getting to meet people from around the world through this show but mm-hmm. also get introduced to some kind of beverages that i've never had before and
0: i have some new favorites from it so awesome awesome interesting cool so thank you so much it has been a, an interesting right, i think i've learned a lot and hopefully the audience also Right, if they choose to listen, so there's a lot of takeaways from here. So, Jim, thank you again. Thank you so much for doing this. We'll be in touch. You are listening to the ABM Voice podcast. This show is produced by Rekotab, edited by Hanfus Bucker, mixing by Kelku Productions. Yes. If you have questions or feedback, write to us at podcast at recordapp.com. Until next time, this is your host Arun signing off. Thank you.